0: then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him an idol a workman cast it or a goldsmith overla- overlays it with gold or cast it for silver train- chains as a gift one chooses mulberry wood wood that will not rot then seeks out a skilled artisan to set up an image that will not topple have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Is it he who sits above the circle of the earth, and inhabitants are like grasshopper, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to live in, and who brings princes to not, not and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Oh, well, wait one second, I got to move my straight. <laughs> sacredly as they plant it, sacredly sown, sacredly has their stem not rotten into the earth. When he blows upon them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubbles. To whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the God, and my right is discarded by, the, by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.
1: Thank you, God. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen.
1: Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth... And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. Isaiah 40, this one chapter, is full of verses that we know. About half of Handel's Messiah came before this particular set of verses, um, all of those bits and pieces that we tend to hear back in Advent. Because this chapter in the book of Isaiah is a turning point. Up until now, the book has been one of dire predictions and threats of destruction of a decadent, exploitative, heartless nation that allows the rich to become so by de- denying care to the widow, the orphan, and the worker. Doesn't sound at all familiar, does it? Up until chapter 40, Isaiah predicts consequences to the cruelty of the leadership couched in language that sounds a lot like wrath of God, and you have to get it, that voice. But which were, of course, leaving those words behind, just the consequences that one could expect when the primary concerns of a nation were not compassion and community, but wealth and status and power. And Isaiah... As it turns out, and we are not shocked by this, Isaiah was not wrong. Not because God is vengeful, not because God wants to get us back for all the ways that we fail to live up to the standards that God has set for us and asked of us, although it might occasionally feel that way when we are face to face with those consequences. Rather, Isaiah was right because power-hungry small nations, or power-hungry large nations, which ally themselves with expansionist empires, might indeed get to see their enemies defeated, but that will happen right before they are themselves conquered by their former allies, who never saw it as a relationship of equals in the first place. And so, as one might have expected, and as Isaiah quite rightly predicted, Israel fell before the overwhelming force of Babylon, having trusted not in God, not in caring for the poor and lifting up the marginalized, but having trusted instead in the tantalizing allure of the biggest bully on the block and the hubris of thinking that God would protect them from their own poor judgment. The Babylonians came in as one might have expected that they would and destroyed the temple and packed the leadership of Israel off, exiled to Babylonia for two generations. This was not their first rodeo. Y'all, they knew how to conquer a nation. And that exile, that trip out into a world completely foreign Months and months of walking to get there, a voyage that was not only exhausting by foot over land for a thousand miles or more, but emotionally devastating, gives us the plaintive verses of Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The people, having been caught up by their own hubris, their own lust for power, their own self-righteousness, find themselves isolated from all that they had known, exiled for the foreseeable future by a power far greater than they had imagined that it could be. And then we get this. The 40th chapter of Isaiah, written in the moment in which They realize that the exile is over. Babylon has fallen to Persia. And the Israelites are allowed to go back to their homes, back to Jerusalem, back to where they came from. This is exactly what they've been hoping for. This is exactly what they've been praying for. This is exactly what they've been longing for, for generations. These people who had learned to sing the songs of Zion even in a foreign land, but who had been longing to get back to the place where they knew their God still was. The moment has come, and yet. The moment of freedom is not the moment of joy that they had been longing for and praying for. Their freedom from exile is not the end of despair, as they face a return journey on foot to a place until recently occupied by the invader and therefore still in ruins. We find ourselves in this 40th chapter as the Israelites discover that their longed-for freedom only puts them at the beginning of a hard path forward. And I hear you. I do. Even though you're all muted at this point saying, okay, Eliza, we get the biblical history lesson. It's really nice. You can stop now. And everyone in my Bible study is like, yeah, we did this already. Why all the background? Why does it matter? What, what are you doing here? Other than the fact, as you all know, that I am a complete and total nerd. So the lengthy background probably isn't, super surprising. I geek out about biblical history and literary analysis as you've all come to know. But that's not the reason. You would be amazed at how much I cut from each sermon each week of me simply geeking out. You don't ever hear it. What was going on in the lives of the people when certain words were spoken, like these verses in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, what was going on in the lives of the people when certain actions were taken, all of that helps us connect to the text. These aren't just words that were written down on a piece of parchment or vellum 3,000 years ago. Not quite that much, but we're getting up towards it. There are words. There are stories. Because while we might not be in exile in a foreign land as the Israelites were, we might just be able to envision what it is to be cut off from the people and the places we love. Maybe. We might have some familiarity with a culture that craves power, even to the point of exploiting the vulnerable. We might possibly have some connection to a society with deep economic and social divisions that are literally the difference between life and death. We might have borne witness to the idolatry that justifies violence and heartlessness in the name of a God who looks an awful lot like us and acts frequently in our self-interest. Honestly, we might even have some empathy toward a people who have been longing and anticipating a freedom that turns out to be not quite as perfect as we had envisioned, but rather the beginning of a long and exhausting road to a life that will never be as it was, no matter how much we might have dreamed of rebuilding the past." I don't know if any of that resonates in 2021. I'm just going out on a limb here, y'all. Hearing the stories of the Israelites opens us to an engagement with the text that we might not have had otherwise, to seeing it as a story that might indeed be our own, and to hearing the text not with our ears, but with our hearts. Because the questions posed to the people, posed by the people, as they prepared themselves to walk unimaginable distances. That's our question as well. To what shall we compare God? What is God anyway, if not the presence to which we make sacrifices in the temple, or the being whom we feel most close to in our own sanctuary? What is God? if not the familiar settings and ways of worship that we have known for generations. Any of this ringing a bell? What is God if God isn't a leader like the ones we know, ruling by human standards and concerned with the power and the wealth and the opportunities of one people, one nation, one faith over and above all others? What is God? If God doesn't look like us, think like us, want what we want, and bless all that we consider normal and right and good.
0: These
1: are ancient (laughs) questions. But these are our questions. When all that is new and strange and different, exile and learning to worship without the temple, pandemic and learning to worship online, makes us anxious, And uncertain of how to find our footing because the world around us is absolutely overwhelming and we are exhausted almost before we've begun. And we are a long way from our beginning. And as ancient as these questions are, that which speaks next seems to come out of the very dawn of time, a deep, urgent cry that swells up with questions of its own. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? That which emerges in response to our anxiety, to our longing for a God who looks like us and understands like us, that which emerges, cries out from all that God has made, from the very nothingness, the void, the abyss to which the rulers of the world will fall. From the very power of God to create and to form this world in all of its infinite complexity. It is that which cries out to us, creation and its potential. It is that which longs for us to understand, even as we ourselves long for understanding. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth that God is beyond all human scale, greater than our hopes and fears, larger than the desires for wealth and power that continue to animate us, even to the point of becoming idols in our lives, little God figures who are within our understanding, unlike the God who created life from chaos and stretched the heavens above us as easily as we would put a roof over our own heads. Have you not known? Have you not heard? that God is that which we seek continually in all the intricacies of creation's patterns, not that which we use to our own advantage to control through fear and guilt and shame, as though we ourselves were the creators rather than the created. Has it not been told you from the beginning that the rulers of the earth shall come to nothing, the very nothing out of which God can call new life as clay that is thrown back into the trough or rotting vegetables turned in a pit until they become new soil. We are as grass, but God is from everlasting to everlasting for as long as the stars light the evening sky. In these moments of trauma and isolation, of anxiety and exhaustion, It is easy to long for a God we can hold on to, a gold or wood or silver idol that just reflects back all that we put upon us, one whom we can impress with our productivity or how far we can get in a day, how exhausted we can become for the sake of the work that remains. It is easy to long for a God who shares in all of our ways, who is as comforted by the familiar as we are ourselves. It is easy to long for a God who wants us to be happy and who doesn't make us face uncomfortable situations that might bring about the happiness of others. But the voice who calls us, from that which swirled over the waters at creation, the voice which calls us longs for more than a comfortable God made in our own human image. The voice which rises from all that God has made calls us to the long path of return from isolation, to rebuilding that which has connected us from the very foundations of the earth into the image of God in which we were created, even when we have not wanted to see it. And though the call seems to pull us onto a path that seems incomprehensibly long and hard and exhausting, the call that we heard, the call that we have known, deep within the fibers of our beings, from the very moment of our creation, the call is not just to do, but it is to be. To live in the image of a God who created and rested, who patterned the world with times of labor and times of leisure, with seasons of long days and seasons of early nights, The voice of creation which continues to speak to us out of all that has been and all that is invites us into the rhythms of the creation that can still recreate us. For if we listen into the deepest corners of our hearts, if we close our eyes and feel the very rhythms of our being, we know and we hear as we have from the beginning that we are created not creator. We are in and with a creation that shows forth the living God in us and in everything around us. From the dance of the cosmos to the deepest roots of the oak, from the spirit that swirled over the waters at creation to the very breath we took just then, just as I was speaking without even being aware of it. The voice, the calls, that begs us to hear and know and understand, reminds us that we are just one part of an image of God that stretches out beyond our perceptions and beyond our human standards, and that calls us to live not to the drumbeats of our anxiety, but into the life pulse of the holy, which calls us to renewal and never to exhaustion. Have you not known? Of course you have. Have you not heard? I know you do. Has it not been told you from the beginning in every breath you take? The path that we have been set is long and it might not look anything like we had expected it to look. But we will walk the parts that are ours to walk. And that is all we need to do. And in that, we will find that God walks alongside us. By the rivers of Babylon, where songs languish, and over the pixels of Zoom, where we trust that God hears the chorus that we cannot. We find that God walks with us. As we take the steps that we need to take towards a world of justice rather than exploitation. As we take the steps that we have been given to take towards a world of compassion rather than a world of individual power. As we take the first steps, our life steps, toward a world that our brief lives may never see come to fruition, but which honors, even for a moment, the God who is forever, and which brings us one step closer to the creation that God has dreamed for us all. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.